Good morning. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. School has reopened for kids in one form or another, and that's where we begin today. Kids are in classes after states and school districts spent months debating whether to return to in-person learning or the remote option, or some combination of the two. Fast forward to today, and there's no nationwide standard. Instead, what we have is a patchwork of plans around the country, and students from low-income homes are being hurt the most. Reporter Alec McGillis took a look at the kids who are being left behind by online learning. He writes about it for ProPublica and The New Yorker. And he introduces us to 12-year-old Shamar in East Baltimore. Now, Shamar doesn't always have access to a phone or even internet, so he often misses reminders about assignments and information about online classes. The adults in Shamar's life can't really help him out with schoolwork. His mother reportedly has a drug addiction and doesn't have stable housing. Grandma, who Shamar sometimes lives with, is losing her eyesight. His great-uncle is illiterate. On the first day of seventh grade, Shamar missed three out of his five online classes. Uh, You know, you really feel for Shamar. What McGillis highlights is how pre-pandemic schools made poverty visible. It forced us to confront this reality. Mm -hmm. And schools were able to play an important role helping kids get the support they need. Now, COVID-19 is making these children invisible. But McGillis explains it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, he spoke with several experts, people in education, people in epidemiology, and they all say that kids need to be physically in schools, bottom line. And they point out in Europe, rates of infection among teachers and students are still low. But McGillis says American schools are not making decisions that rely on the best data. And these divides fall along racial lines. Chalkbeat recently did a nationwide survey that found that about half of white students had the choice to attend in-person classes, while only about a quarter of black and Hispanic students had the same option. And they say there are a number of reasons why this might be the case, including politics and geography. McGillis warns we could be losing a whole generation of kids if we don't find a way to reopen schools and get the most vulnerable young people the education and attention that they need and deserve. Videos of Black people in the United States being gunned down are easy to find on the internet. They're terrifying. So much so that some Black people are saying, maybe it's time to get a gun. According to the National African American Gun Association, before the pandemic, they were getting 10 new member requests a day. Now it's more like 10 new members an hour. This reporting comes from NPR, and it's part of a larger series called Being Black in America. Now, for the series, NPR interviewed nearly 500 black people who live in the United States who are reflecting on this moment, and in particular, the protests for racial justice. One person, a truck driver from New Mexico, told NPR that he never thought of himself as a gun person. But after seeing the video of Ahmaud Arbery being fatally shot while he was jogging, he went out and purchased his first firearm. Another person said she and her family have been having serious discussions about how they would want to die if they do have an encounter with someone who's threatening their life. She said, do we want to die unprepared or at least try to protect ourselves? But others say, wait a minute. 
Look at the data. Statistically, owning a gun does not necessarily make you safer because there are many other complicating factors. Philando Castile was a legally registered gun owner, and police shot him dead during a traffic stop after he told the officer he was armed. And there are a lot of other stories of guns increasing the chances of any situation ending in death. Which is why some Black people in the United States are trying to change that narrative. They're forming armed groups to, in their words, bridge the divide between law enforcement and the community. One of our recent audio stories, which is available in the Apple News app, comes from the L.A. Times, which reports on a group that calls themselves the Minnesota Freedom Fighters. It includes about two dozen men, including a retired firefighter, a healthcare worker, a veteran, and they joined together in the days after George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. They now patrol the neighborhood and they offer security to protesters and protection for small businesses if protests get out of control. And they say that they're in touch with local police about their efforts. Still, the U.S. has a long history of being afraid of armed black people. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was denied a concealed carry permit when he applied for one after his house was bombed. And back in the 60s, California began passing some of the toughest gun control laws after the Black Panthers made a point of legally and visibly arming themselves. But times are changing. And according to a 2017 Pew survey, nearly a quarter of black people report legally owning a gun. Today is the start of the Major League Baseball playoffs. And like everything in sports this year, it's going to be kind of weird. ESPN breaks down what we can expect. The playoff field is dramatically expanded this season, with six extra teams making the postseason. Now, in a normal season, the top-seeded teams get to sit out the single-elimination wildcard, but this year, everyone will be subjected to a new best-of-three first-round series. ESPN explains that the Los Angeles Dodgers are the favorite to win the World Series, entering as the number one-seeded team in the National League. They're also in a World Series drought. The last time they won the championship was 1988. So this year should be their year, except ESPN did the math and says that because of this new format, their odds of winning the World Series have dropped by about 8%. And when looking at lower-seeded teams like the Padres and the Yankees, their odds have actually gone up by around 4%. And the whole postseason will take place on a condensed timeline with fewer days off. ESPN explains, this schedule is going to be difficult for teams without deep pitching rotations like the Braves and the Cubs, but it could be to the benefit of teams like the Dodgers, Indians, and the Athletics who have a long line of starting pitchers ready to step into the game. Yeah, this whole thing has a real March Madness feel to it. And ESPN says if you're looking for a Cinderella story, it might be the Marlins. Remember, this team almost had to end its season after more than half of the team got COVID-19. And now it's in the playoffs for the first time since 2003. That was when they won the World Series against the Yankees. And now for a little segment we like to call, what's your excuse? Did you know nearly one million Americans have already voted in the presidential election? And in North Carolina and Wisconsin, in these two battleground states alone, more than 400,000 people already cast their ballots. And we already know that one vote will be cast from space. 
NPR reports that NASA astronaut Kate Rubens says she'll definitely be voting, even if she is technically hundreds of miles above her polling place. She's such an inspiration. You know, Rubens was the first person to sequence DNA in space. And she's training right now for a six-month mission on the International Space Station. She tells the Associated Press, It's important not to sit this one out, even if you're voting from outer space. Instead of mailing her ballot in, she can forward hers electronically for mission control in Houston. Rubens also voted in the 2016 presidential election from the space station. She had listed her address as Low Earth Orbit. You can find all these stories and more on the Apple News app. Tonight is the first presidential debate. Follow it live on Apple News. We'll be curating all the biggest moments and bringing you context in real time, starting at 9 o'clock Eastern. And of course, we'll be talking about the debate tomorrow on the show. See you then. See you then.